You're listening to 340B Unscripted. Hey, everyone. Welcome to 340B Unscripted. My name is Greg Wilson. I'm here with Rob Nahoopi. Hey, Rob, how's it going? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. It's our first fall season uh, podcast. So I know we've been texting back and forth about football. It's nice to get a podcast here to uh, start the uh, start the fall season. Yeah. Yeah. We won't talk about Michigan State's loss to Washington for all you Michigan State fans out there. And my my uh, my tone will always be a little bit more uh, downtrodden when the Steelers aren't able to put up any points. Um, so you know you you'll be able to tell Steeler wins and losses just based on the uh, the inflection of my voice, I guess. So I'll try to pep up though today. So we've got a great uh, great topic for uh, today's episode. We're going to be talking about referral capture and kind of a continuing discussion of uh, patient definition. Yeah, we're, I'm excited for it. Uh, we, you know, we did a webinar on this earlier in the year, um, but really being able to openly just kind of talk about it uh, more, more unscripted, um, about yeah. referral capture and the continuum of care argument, um, kind of related to our first podcast about 340B patient definition. And in this one, we got to kind of talk about how you would apply that, how how yeah. that applies, and and you know, and and how we we work with our covered entities if they want to apply it. And so I think I think it'll be a good podcast today. Yeah, I think you know as. Covered entities are still struggling with manufacturer restrictions in the contract pharmacy space and debating the, you know, the value of uploading data to platforms like 340B ESP. I think lots of folks are, are really interested in some of these out-of-the-box strategies to help maximize their 340B program. So it'll be good to kind of dig into the weeds around uh, referral capture. Another topic that just wanted to bring up briefly, and, and maybe it's a topic that's worth worthy of a full episode in and of itself, is uh, an email that we got from a client earlier in the week last week, uh, just reminding us and asking us for thoughts around uh, some market competition for Humira. So if you know Humira, uh, Adalimumab, probably the biggest drug in terms of revenue uh, ever produced in the U.S., has some uh, biosimilar competition coming out in 2023. Th- thoughts around that, Rob? Yeah, no, I mean, exciting because, you know, Humira is a high cost product. We do have a penny price around it. Um, so so there's been some huge savings, but with the biosimilars um, and everything going on, I think it's an opportunity for everyone um, in any health system or hospital or even our clinics to look at it um, and, you know, look at formulary and decide if there's better price products overall that make sense as an organization. Um, you know, Greg, one thing you mentioned, which I hadn't even thought of, um, was even going all the way to dispensing patterns and, and strategies when you have um, manufacturers taking away pricing in certain categories, or, you know, when you look at um, orphans and all those things, I think we always should be looking at P&T um, decisions to see how we can help drive um, lower l- lower overall costs for the organization. And Greg, I know you spent a lot of time on P&T at your previous organization, and this is a kind of a specialty area for you. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, you know, the, the Humira decision and the analysis that will need to go into making a good decision around picking the right product for that particular class or, or, or that particularly particular drug, you know, I, I think it re- really underscores the importance of making sure the 340B team are involved in that um, in that discussion. So not only do you have to look at your price points, but you have to look at, 
you know, the availability of, you know, the uh, access to the drug that you may select in your in-house pharmacies versus your contract pharmacies. So, you know, it's an exciting time if you're someone that's involved in 340B, but also has a a role in in formulary management and drug product selection for your your health system or your, uh, your network. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, that, that's probably our, just kind of what we've, we, Greg and I've been batting around on an email and our internal chats. Uh, that's kind of a recent hot topic besides everything else going on. Um, yeah. Hopefully you enjoyed the uh, Inflation Reduction Act podcast that just, that came out a couple of weeks prior to this one. Um, we got a lot of positive feedback on that. And so we just want to thank you for letting us know that you, you like the podcast and the content. Um, again, if you have any topics in the future for us you'd like us to cover, or if you're interested in coming on the podcast yourself, please let us know. Um, one thing we did want to ask is if you are, do like the podcast, please, um, wherever you're subscribing, um, if it has an opportunity for you to rate it and leave some comments, we'd love to hear comments on there and and, and to get a nice high rating. Um, do want to point out if you you plan on giving it a low rating, um, just email <laughs> us directly. Don't worry about uh, commenting on that um, uh, directly on whatever podcast reader you're listening to. Yeah, send us a letter in the mail if you're unhappy <laughs> right, right. with we'll the it, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got another uh, Spendman uh, colleague joining us this week to talk about referral capture. Riley Protz is going to hop on with us here. R- Rob, you've got a couple of bios to read. So introduce the audience to, to Riley for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I've got two bios. One is his real bio. Uh, the second one I'll tee up here in a second. So Riley is a director, is our director of optimization and referral capture here on the uh, Spendman pharmacy team. But most recently, he served as the 340B program manager and pharmacy inventory manager for a 500-plus bed system that had Dish Hospital and a critical access hospital. And during his time, Riley established a centralized 340B team that oversaw the expansion of the 340B program, which resulted in significant savings and increased program compliance. He has also presented at numerous uh, conferences, including, including 340B Coalition, regarding program strategies around 340B. Now, that's his formal bio. Uh, Riley's also a two-year admin kind of pharmacist like myself, us uh, gluttons for punishment who decide that we're going to become administrative uh, pharmacy people. So he has that background as well. And that's where I got to uh, meet Riley as he actually spent some time with us at um, Turnkey Pharmacy Solutions back in the day. Um, But I will say that uh, great experience uh, bringing a lot to our team. And and he and I did that webinar um, earlier this year on referral capture. So he's going to be great. for this podcast, but I have to read his second bio. So when we were coming coming up with this bio last time, our our VP of marketing, Tom Flynn, came up with this interesting bio. Now Tom's more of a creative. Um, so I just want to highlight and at least make sure everyone understands this is a for fun bio. But I want to read it to you because otherwise it feels like we lost it. And now that we get to publish in the real world and anyone can listen, I just want to give Tom credit. And, uh, and without further ado, here is the spruced up bio for Riley Prods. After touring Europe, and Asia, as a member of the boy band Poppin' Pills, Riley Otts turned quietly to a life of fighting international crime as Interpol's youngest ever special agent serving in the narcotics division. Working indirectly with drugs gave Mr. Protz a taste for counting by fives, and he once again changed careers, earning his dual MBA and PharmD at the famed Thompson Academy of Playboy Pharmacists. Upon graduating top of his class, Riley added a PR to his last name, taking on the new moniker, Protz. When asked why he made this change, his publicist commented that you can't spell pretty without the PR. 
Riley accepted a position as the director of optimization with Spenman Pharmacy, and it should come as no surprise that he optimizes. So without further ado, we welcome Riley Prots. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Not That's much more to add to that. that as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get Riley's input on uh, uh, his thoughts on that, uh, that particular bias. So why don't we take a quick break? And when we uh, come back, we'll bring Riley in talk about referral capture and get his opinion on that fantastically written bio. All right. Sounds we'll be good. right back, everyone. The 340B Unscripted Podcast is brought to you by Spendmen Pharmacy. As a pharmacy industry professional, you know 340B program participation includes complex regulatory and audit requirements that must be managed carefully and accurately. If HRSA identifies non-compliance issues, costly and corrective actions are often required, and 340B programming eligibility may be at risk. Visit spendmen.com and follow the pharmacy links to learn how Spendman Pharmacy can help you ensure 340B compliance while driving significant savings. All right, welcome back everyone. This is Greg, I'm here with Rob, and we've got Riley with us. Hey Riley, thanks for joining. Hey guys, pleasure to be here, thanks for having me. Do we, do we need to start off with that bio, Riley? You're familiar with the, the Tom Flynn bio of Riley Otts? Yeah, I, uh, I don't have much to add either, um, but I, I will say there are very few uh, kernels of truth in there, and I'll let everybody hypothesize uh, what's true and what is fictional. Oh, okay. All right. We can, we can have a, a something giveaway later if people can get what's, what's accurate and what's not. I think the best part of that bio is the fact that Riley, the, the only time that you've ever had interaction with Tom is when he shared that bio with you for you to prove, right? Yeah. When I came on, I, you know, I, I think I've probably shared four emails with him by now, um, but that was the very first thing that he and I interacted with. So that, yeah. that's how I, my introduction to our great uh, VP marketing. Great. That's well, awesome. thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Let's let's start talking about re referral capture because again, a very hot topic I think in the 340B space right now. Um, many many covered entities have been doing referral capture, but I think in this climate with you know limited uh, availability of 340B price drugs through contract pharmacies, folks are looking at other strategies to help maximize participation in the 340B program, and referral capture is one of those strategies. And, and maybe we can level set. And I'll throw this question to you, Rob. It's just what is, you know, our definition of a referral claim? I think there's been some misconceptions when we've been on calls with clients about what's, you know, a true, you know, referral 340B pharmacy claim. So can you kind of clarify for us what we're talking about when we talk about a referral capture? No, it, that's a great question, Greg. And, and Riley can back me up here. Um, you know, uh, I initially started the referral capture program and Riley took over and by the way, is, is doing an amazing job, um, way better than I was. And uh, so I appreciate Riley doing that. But that is one question we get. And part of it's because there are other referral capture vendors in the marketplace and, and some of them um, are presenting a process as a referral capture process when it's really not. And so, so I think level setting is great. And so first of all, referral capture formally. And if you go back to the 340B patient definition, it is in the 340B patient definition. It talks about um, other arrangements such as referral. And that's kind of where it started. And so a formal referral as HRSA sees it is really where um, traditionally that you have a primary care, um, ambulatory care of some sort. So that's going to be family practice, internal medicine. I mean, OBGYN to a certain extent. Um, there's some other probably uh, practices that function as the primary care provider, but that's what you're really looking at. 
And it's a situation where that primary care provider maybe either A, doesn't have the level of expertise needed for a specialty condition or just would like that second opinion or a specialist to see the patient. Could be cardiology, could be endocrinology, um, could be dermatology, right? Tons of uh, practices, um, won't, co- won't cover them all. But, and so that, that primary care provider that is a qualified 340B entity, whether it's a child side of a hospital or it's an FQHC, they're referring out to the specialist who is not a qualified location of the covered entity. And it's the idea that when that primary care provider refers out to that specialty provider, it's still all under the jurisdiction or at least um, responsibility of care, which is the key terminology of that primary care clinic that's qualified. And then and to show that responsibility of care, then some closed loop of that information comes back, whether it's an actual copy of the visit from that specialist, or if the, you know, if maybe it's um, a medical group clinic of the same health system, so the primary care provider can see the actual visits, that's sufficient to close the loop. If they can't actually see uh, clinic notes from that specialist, then it's getting a copy of that clinical note, or at minimum, having documentation in future visits at the primary care provider that they understand what's occurring at that specialist visit. So it doesn't have to be the full note back, which we initially thought it was years and years ago, but HRSA's, through HRSA audits, we've seen over and over that, you know, just showing documentation that you've closed the loop and have responsibility for care sufficient. So that's referral capture. That's really what we're referring to. That's what we think is going to stand the test of time. But then there's other levels of referral capture that, or sorry, there's other things that have occurred recently that we talked about in one of our first podcasts, which is expansion of the patient definition, into what we call um, continuum of care. And, and this is related to what um, the lawsuit with Genesis and HRSA is about is, is, does a primary care clinic who has responsible for care for a patient, can they qualify any prescriptions or other prescriptions written for that patient written outside of the primary care clinic in what we call a continuum of care, meaning that the primary care clinic's responsible, or you could even go one step further, which we'll talk about is if you're in an acute care setting and you say, see the patient in the hospital and they discharge for a condition, how long is that continuum of care good for, right? These are all continuum of care arguments. And we've seen over and over other vendors trying to say, well, this is referral capture. And we just want to clarify that there's referral capture and then there's continuum of care. And I don't think we should mix the two up. I think we should be clear on what we're, what or how we're qualifying prescriptions because each one of those iterations has a higher degree of risk, starting with the referral capture on one end and, um, and really an acute care continuum of care on the other end. And, and I think every, every covered entity should be cognizant of what those differences are and what they're comfortable with. And, and I, hopefully I'm not stealing any of Riley's thunder because Riley came up with a nice slide deck when we're doing education for clients on what this looks like and, and programs set up um, on where they want to fit in that continuum um, of qualification. So hopefully that makes sense. And I don't know, Riley, would you throw anything else in there? Uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, it's, and I'll touch on this, but it's not a black and white situation, right? There's definitely a spectrum of, of risk. And so that's something we definitely recommend when you're talking to potential clients and, and current clients of ours is, you know, just be aware of, you know, what are you comfortable with? Uh, and we kind of we advise based on that. And, you know, as well, you know, we have folks that are thinking about doing referral capture. Um, and I always, as you said, pointing back to the patient definition and, and you know, it's in there in the, like, if you read it, there's, you know, example referral for consultation parentheses. And so that definitely cultures some fears, uh, for folks that are, are worried about, you know, doing this compliantly, you know, it's in the definition. So we're, we feel very strongly that they're able to do this, uh, just in a compliant manner. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll certainly, you know, in a little bit, talk about, you know, HRSA audit experience around referral capture and how these, get tested and assessed during HRSA audits. Um, but maybe before we get to that, what types of covered entities, you know, could benefit from implementing referral capture? Is this hospital? Is this grantee? Is this really any any type of 
covered entity out there participating in the 340B program that should be looking at this? Yeah, yeah. great question. Go ahead, Riley. You, you want that or? Uh, no, go for it. I can, I'll add anything. I think you've got this, but I'll, I'll back you up if you need me. <laughs> Excellent. I appreciate the backup. I appreciate the backup. Um, yeah. So it's like I said at the beginning. I, you know, we 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 think it should be um, covered entities that have primary care, right? I think that's really what it's for. Um, so if you have some primary care, we think you're you're a good um, fit for for referral capture. Now, if you don't have primary care and you have other situations that that you want to talk about, that's where we start getting into those continuum of care arguments. More mm-hmm. than we we do have clients that that we that you know that would like to explore that that category. So we're more than willing to talk about it, but specifically for referral capture, we're, we we think it should be uh, covered entities like grantees, FQHC specifically, or hospitals that have primary care. You know, what we find is a lot of critical access hospitals have ref- rural health clinics. Um, a lot of uh, certain dish hospitals, especially academics, do have some of that primary care um, as part of their child sites or uh, within the four walls, but part of their hospital outpatient departments or provider-based clinics. So I think that's really what it's geared towards. But if you have other situations to talk about, we'd love to talk about them through with you. And and you know, and if you want to uh, explore continuum of care and what those risks look like and and opportunities, we can do that as well. Yeah, and I think this maybe goes without saying, but having a larger contract pharmacy network, of course, is going to increase the ease of implementing a referral capture program because you don't have to then register contract pharmacies and you know assess the potential benefit. Um, and then on the flip side, if you have such a large contract pharmacy network and such a large health system that you already have your specialists specialists under the umbrella of the health system, then the opportunity for a referral, you know, becomes if there's less opportunity because you're already capturing those uh, specialist claims um, under a covered entity or an eligible location. Yeah, interesting. That's a good point, Riley, that, um, you know, a lot of times when you're only doing your own primary care, you might only have some local contract pharmacies. But when you get into specialty prescriptions, these really high cost prescriptions that could be um, written from uh, specialty clinics, sometimes insurance is required that to go through a specialty pharmacy. And so sometimes it does require expansion of your contract pharmacy network. And we know how much fun contract pharmacy with the 18, as of this recording, manufacturers who have taken away pricing is. Um, and, and Riley works with all of that. Uh, Riley's fact, um Greg, I, I think that's one thing we wanted to cover today. What what is Riley doing today, right, with with the program, and how is he helping covered entities? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Riley, give us kind of like a high level walkthrough of how this referral capture actually works from an operational perspective. Yeah, sure. And I, I'll speak just in a general, not you know what not what Spendman does, but what someone at a covered entity can do. And so we'll start at the very beginning. And I think you know I'm going to give a pretty cookie cutter example of primary care, um, where so let's say a patient is seen by a PCP. Um, you know, out of, a, out of the clinic. And then you know, let's say that PCP uh, diagnoses them for Crohn's. You know, let's use the Humira, Humira example. Um, you say Humira, I say Humira. Uh, but so let's say that the PCP diagnoses them for Crohn's. Uh, they're going to refer that patient to a specialist who's actually going to, um, you know, take, coordinate the care of that patient and prescribe the medications. And so the PCP will then refer the patient to their gastroenterologist um, ideally, this is done you know, through the EMR, but a lot of times uh, it's going to be a, a written referral that's then faxed into the EMR and on the patient's medical record. Uh, that patient then goes and sees that PCP at the you know, gastroenterologist clinic. Uh, that gastroenterologist will then write the Humira prescription um, out of that clinic. So this is an outside provider. So this is not one of your uh, providers, so not your NPIs and not one of your covered entity locations. And so this is, you know, let's think about this. This is definitely an ineligible medication prescription. Um, 
then that patient will then take that prescription to ideally a contracted pharmacy that you have in place. Uh, you know, if your TPA or is running correctly, this is going to not qualify because you don't want to qualify those uh, providers that are not yours and those locations that are not yours. Um, but if you have a referral uh, capture program in place, uh, depends on the TPA. We can talk about specifics, but maybe they'll they'll tee up a suspect queue, or maybe you have to manually look at these claims um, and pull them and say, okay, this one did not qualify, but maybe it will qualify. Uh, so then you want to audit that and that patient to make sure that you have you know the right documentation in the patient's medical record. Check off all the boxes and say, okay, this does qualify as a referral capture claim. We should qualify this prescription. Um, then you go back into the TPA. Um, some make it easier than others in actually that manual qualification. Um, and then it just becomes a qualified medication and goes through the same processes that um, replenishment um, and you know increased revenue that you would see in any other claim. Um, so that's your your typical you know cookie cutter model. Uh, it seems I think pretty simple, but I think where it becomes complex is when you're actually determining if something is an eligible claim or not. You know, it's definitely not a, a black and white situation where you know say yes this is a fraud capture, no this one is not. Um, there's definitely multiple variables uh, that you know should be taken into consideration when someone is doing that manual auditing. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned responsibility of care, um, but I the question then to me is what is you know what do we determine to be an actual an adequate you know amount of responsibility of care, an adequate amount of time? You know, what if your provider saw the patient 11 months ago, or what if the provider saw the patient 20 months ago? You know, do they still have responsibility of care? Is there a time component involved? That's that's one thing. Rob alluded to the the closed loop model, and so do you require a closed loop to come back from the specialist provider? Um, and then the timing of the referral, does the referral need to be placed prior to the refill coming through? Or uh, you know, can you can you refer the patient out, write the prescription, or vice versa? Can you write the prescription first and then put a referral, referral in place um, after the fact, um, after maybe the, fill, the prescription's been filled once or twice? And so there, there's definitely multiple variables um, to think about and to, you know, each per, each entity should, you know, check, you know, that we think that, you know, responsible care is less than 12 months and we do want a closed loop model or we do not want a closed loop model. Um, and then just remaining consistent from that regard. Um, so it's, yeah, that's the main process. Uh, it's definitely, it's, it's not a simple process by any means though. Oh, excellent. And, you know, one, one thing that is making it a little bit more complex, Riley, and I know you do a lot in this area, it's, um, you know, as part of the, even the flow sheet and everything is, is, is also looking at, um, as those manufacturers that have taken away pricing and have co- covered entities are sending data to ESP or selecting a single contract pharmacy making sure that you actually get 340B pricing back so that you can um, get that additional savings for, from the referral captures. Yeah, I mean, if the if the TPA that you're working with uh, gives you a, a referral queue or a suspect queue, they're probably already blocking those NDCs that are, have been blocked regularly, um, so they wouldn't show up in that queue. But if you're having to do this from a manual process, let's say you're exporting unqualified claims, then you'll have to block those NDCs on your own. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be you know spending time um, auditing a claim and auditing a patient record that you would never be able to qualify anyways. So definitely, yeah, reduces reduces the you know the potential financial benefit, but also hopefully reduces the, the workload of you know waste of time there. So I, I have a question for you guys actually. I'm curious. You know, Greg alluded to this, but you know, I'm not on the front lines. I'm not one of our, our great auditors, and so I'm not actually helping out with any Hearst audits. So I'm curious if you guys have any insights on you know what is passing Hearst audits these days. Yeah, Rob, do you want to start with that? Well, yeah, I was just appreciating the fact that Riley tur- turned the tables on us and asked us a question. So Yeah, he's the first guest to actually ask a question to us, so wasn't prepared for that. 
Yeah, you know, um, and, Gre- and Greg, you're definitely going to lean on you on this one. Um, you, you have more experience auditing these days than I do. But I do support a lot of hearse audits. And, and what we're seeing in hearse audits, um, I, I guess I sh- sort of shared at the beginning, is that HRSA is allowing for referral captures, right? They, so on mm-hmm. audit, if a referral capture shows up or if, if they can't find the prescription, you know, as we're going through the samples, if the prescription's not from a qualified location and it's identified as a from an external location that's a non-qualified location, a lot of the HRSA auditors will ask, well, is that a referral or do you have a referral for this? And so from there, if you can show Yep, yep, here's a referral at this visit, and here's the notes coming back, or here's a note from our, our provider. And what we're seeing is, again, like I mentioned, that we don't need to have the actual clinical note. I mean, again, mm-hmm. if you have visibility to the clinic notes of that specialist, then that's like the gold standard, you're done. If you get a copy of, of that of that visit back, fantastic. But if you don't, and you just and as long as your primary care provider is documenting, hey, patient seeing cardiologists being prescribed X or dermatology ber- being prescribed one of those expensive drugs that we see commercials all the time for plaque psoriasis or whatever, um, and 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 that medications in the med list, right? All those things show that your primary care provider has responsibility for care. We've been successful that those don't those aren't findings. Those are effect. Most of the time on a HRSA audit, they just, they say, okay, they take notes and we move on. So HRSA has been pretty good about acknowledging referral capture um, and those arrangements and, and, you know, qualifying them and, and not being an issue on a, on a HRSA audit. So Greg, love to hear more though, because uh, again, you, you participate in as many, if not more HRSA audits than I do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, d- definitely uh, agree that we've seen a lot of, you know, success as far as, you know, how these get perceived or how these get assessed during HRSA audits. So HRSA clearly recognizes this as a, uh, a valid way of uh, u- utilizing your 340B drugs. I will state during the audits that I've supported in the last, you know, year or so, you know, so HRSA audits, you know, they're asking for, you know, show us the outbound referral. So, we've, you know, that, I think that's clearly a requirement where you have to show some type of documentation that the patient was referred outbound to the outside provider. And they may be asking for the non-qualified location provider notes to be pulled up or to be, you know, provided or or um, shown during the the sampling. But when the covered entity admits, look, we don't have these, you know, these notes in our record, or that's not something that's readily accessible in our EHR, you know, omission of the pro- provider notes being sent back into the covered entity haven't uh, generated any type of audit findings. So I, I think that's been fairly consistent. Although, you know, we did have a uh, discussion about the uh, diversion risk session that was presented at the coalition earlier in the summer this year, where a covered entity, you know, shared her audit experience and did have diversion risk findings um, uh, outlined in an audit report for them for two cl- claims that they happened to capture under referral capture process. So I don't know exactly what type of dialogue occurred during the sampling portion of the audit to generate diversion risk, but I think it's really important when you have a HRSA audit and you are implementing a referral capture element to your 340B program operations, you want to make sure that somebody is available and able to articulate the nuances around how you're operationalizing referral capture during the audit because I think it's so complex some things could easily get lost in um, in the mix and some things get lost uh, in interpretation of how the program's operating excellent that's good info thank you Greg how about pitfalls or obstacles Riley I'll, I'll have you answer this one to start what 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 are some things that you've heard covered entities encounter as far as obstacles in getting a referral 
capture program up off the ground or actually just maintaining a referral capture program that's in place? Yeah, I think the, the number one obstacle that people rightfully have is just concerns of being able to do this compliantly. Um, you know, I think that everyone is good at putting compliance first. Um, and so I think it, it's just a scary concept to qualify these, you know, prescriptions. We spend a lot of time ensuring that our NPI lists are 100% accurate, but then now you're going to manually qualify, you know, prescriptions that don't even come out of your your location. So I think there's definitely a lot of concerns and, you know, ensuring that, okay, what do I say in our my policy? Um, make sure that everything you do is standardized. Like I said, there's a lot of variables in doing referral capture. So you want to ensure that, you know, whatever you do choose to do, um, you are standard and you're doing it the same way every single time. Um, another side of it is, you know, it's doing the risk benefit analysis becomes complex uh, with referral capture because it's difficult to, let's say, you know, put a proposal together and say, oh, I need it. I need, you know, another half of an FTE or I need someone else to dedicate resources and someone from leadership is going to ask you, OK, well, what's the benefit going to be? Um, and it, so you can project potential future savings, but just the nature of contract pharmacy. Um, it's very difficult to know what that potential revenue would be, um, especially with these ESP blocks. Um, so it's not all of your non-qualified claims, right? It's just some of them that could have referral in place. You don't know if there's going to be a referral in place until you actually audit. Um, so I think that just knowing, you know, is there actually going to be a financial benefit and should I dedicate resources to this uh, is, is another struggle. And then the last one I have, I believe, is just the operational complexity. I mentioned if your TPA isn't, you know, kind of feeding these claims in a suspect queue to you, um, being able to identify which claims are potentially valuable uh, is not easy to do. Um, and then, you know, some of the TPAs, if they do provide you a queue, a lot of times they'll ask you for a, a referral provider list. And so they're just going to, you're, they're going to search off of those uh, NPIs and then put them into that list for you. And so that's just another list to, to keep track of. And so if you're not accurate with that, then there's, you know, the, the benefit of actually going through that queue um, reduces as well. Um, so it all comes down a lot to just, you know, what resources do you have available? I mean, do you need to justify additional resources? And it's you know tough to justify that as well. Awesome. Well, Rob, I got a, I got a question for you co coming from someone that has background in health system leadership. How do you sell the pursuit of referral capture program? If you're a 340B leader, you think you want to you know start doing this? You know, you got to add some resources to your team. Probably. Um, what What's the pitch to executive leadership to get buy-in on pursuing referral capture program? You know, right now, the uh, quite a few covered entities have signed up, and, and Riley's got a few in the hopper that he's implementing. But, um, you know, the really the pitch is, for most covered entities, I'm guessing if you're already in contract pharmacy, that you've seen a pretty big hit to your savings, 340B savings, because of the manufacturer's taking away pricing. Well, referral capture happens to be one way or one mechanism that already exists that you can um, cover some of those losses and those savings, which I think is important. Um that you know, as as you look at those, what you're doing with those savings, and, and many of the savings we, when we work with the critical access hospitals, that contract pharmacy savings is what was keeping the doors open. It was really the full intent of the 340B program, and and so now that they've they've lost some of these savings, there's been a significant decrease in savings. Uh, you know, this is one thing we've been trying to use as a, as a tool to help recapture some of those savings. It, I'll be honest, it doesn't always offset all of the loss from the manufacturers. In fact, if you think about it. The manufacturer impact affects referral capture as well. So I like to see it as one tool. And you're right, resources-wise, it is time-intensive, which is why a lot of covered entities don't do it, because because right now um, we've heard from so many health systems running in the red or, or financially not in a position to continue to add FTEs. FTEs. I remember when I was a pharmacy director, it was always hard to add. Um, if you know you have to justify, and although there is an ROI for this, it's still an FTE, it's still a fixed expense. 
And so that's where that's why we we do have a service. I guess here's a soft plug. And I know we're on on the, the call and 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 just talking about it, but you can do this yourself. But I will say having an experienced leader like Riley and his team that can actually do the grunt work is is critical. I shouldn't say grunt work. It's just it's 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 a lot of work. You're really going into the EHR and just plain um, you know, like investigator. I'm trying to investigate and I have to read all these notes and everything's clinic visits and trying to find these things. Well, Sometimes instead of using your current resources, if you can't get new ones to do this, it might be easier to outsource it, uh, which is why we started our program so that if you can't find the resources internally, then or don't have the expertise to set it up correctly up front, then you can um, kind of uh, you can work with us and, and we get a program started and up and running for you, policy and procedure edits and everything. So you can focus on all the parts of your program. You're just trying to deal with today. We, we totally recognize how, uh, you know, how, how much. Um, Time is involved in managing a 340B program. So adding another kind of time-intensive uh, process like referral capture might be a bit da- uh, daunting or uh, overwhelming. So you definitely reach out for help if you need help. Riley's uh, implemented referral capture for so many clients at this point. He's, he's got a nice little playbook that he uses and, and tools and resources. Um, and we have a good team that can support finding those, those extra savings for you. Excellent. Yeah, I'll, I'll add that, uh, you know, our, our company has, and we'll always focus on compliance, you know, formerly turnkey and currently Spenman Pharmacy. That's it's compliance first. And so we, we treat our pro capture uh, program in the same manner because I think that's just that's what we want to be known for. Um, and so we definitely will will work, provide recommendations and work with, with clients and future clients around, you know, what strategies they like to impose. But, you know, we, we touched a little bit on your continuum of care and that's definitely more a risky strategy. And so we're happy to facilitate that for uh, clients that they want to. Um, but I, I think if you're thinking, okay, well, let's do referral capture. You're right. You're right, Rob. It's, it's a lot easier to outsource than to justify hiring somebody else. And so we're definitely here for you. Um, and I'm not requiring you to, to add a new portal or create new data feeds that other referral capture programs uh, re- request as well, because that's just that's just more work on your end as well. Um, so yeah, if, if anybody is interested, yeah, please, you'll, you'll chat with me first. Um, so please reach out and happy to jump on a call. Awesome. No, no, Rob, you and I, we've been on numerous client calls together, and I feel like, you know, most of our clients want you to prognosticate a little bit about the future of 340B. You know, we've got referral capture actually addressed in the statute. You know, people want to know, are these types of programs going to change, or is HRSA's outlook on something like referral capture going to change? Any predictions from you, or do you suspect that this gets written out of legislation or gets closed off as an opportunity if HRSA gets rulemaking authority in the future? Ooh, that's a good question, Greg. Um, so so one one thing we can look at is, is uh, you know, that, that common f- uh, phrase, uh, the best prediction predictor of future performance is past performance. And if you go back to the 20, what, 2012-2013 omnibus guidance, or w- what we affectionately call the mega guidance uh, from HRSA, which we've learned that, you know, they didn't, never published it. But in there, there was a component that at least needed clarification, because it appeared that they were saying that all orders or prescriptions need to originate from a qualified location. So at least I think there was some risk that referral capture could go away if HRSA were to receive rulemaking authority and then hasn't had a change of mindset regarding what they had put out in the omnibus guidance. Having said that, I don't know, there's no guarantee that they go back to the omnibus guidance. There's multiple pieces in the omnibus guidance that was problematic. Some were positive for covered entities, but quite a bit was negative um, from a saving standpoint. So we don't know if if there would be a full revival of that. And we're talking almost a decade ago, which is crazy to think about for those that were in the 340B program back then. 
but but I so I do I, I try and put my crystal ball on um, and and I, I kind of have a feeling that referral capture might stay. I think there's a place for it. It makes sense. Um, it was in the original 340B patient definition to revise that out of the patient definition, I think would be substantial. And so I think where we're going to see the tightening is around this continuum of care that people are using, right? And and I'm going to use the the phrase Morford letter, right? That's where the only place we've actually read language around continuum of care. However, it has been in more discussions recently, just not formally written in any type of guidance, just that Morford letter that's out there. I can't remember if we talked about it on a previous podcast. Maybe the Morford letter needs to be a topic of its own podcast um, that it can continue to live on. But but basically, continuum of care is this kind of notion, right, that we already we already talked about it, but that if you provide care for a patient then and you discharge them from an acute care or primary care, that as they continue on with that care, there should be a period of time that that these prescriptions are still eligible, right, that, that you can still capture them even if they're written at a non-qualified location because they're related to the care that you provided and that you have some responsibility for. Maybe not full responsibility once it's handed off to another provider, but you still have some responsibility. So in that regard should it say so that part is the part that i think if hersa does receive rulemaking authority will probably fix that loophole i don't think they've ever really believed in continuum of care regardless if if you know back in 2010 2011 um or sorry 2001 if thomas morford and bill von Osten had this communication via the morford letter i don't think hersa ever intended for that to be a practice that was continued so even though we're allowed to use it because they can enforce guidance and guidance is really where they say it's referral. It's it's it has to be from a qualified location or referral is what guidance says. Um, I think that's where you know covered entities are looking at saying yes, but the continuum of care argument does make sense, and you s- technically can't enforce guidance, right? So I think any area where there's already guidance exists, I think that's what will likely occur. So I think I personally feel referral capture will continue, but continuum of continuum of care arguments probably will not if HRSA gets rulemaking authority and starts drafting rules. That's my prognostic um prog- prognostication what's the right word there prediction maybe prognostication is prognostication the word yeah all right someone can correct us um just by email not by comment remember yeah right yeah no i i agree and I, it's hard to imagine you know, especially when you look at grantees you know the fqhcs and other folks providing primary care but don't have the resources or the expertise on hand for specialty care it's hard to imagine that you know, HRSA would eliminate the opportunity to extend 340B access to those patients just because they have to leave the uh, the, the confines of the or the four walls of the um, the, the clinic when there's a, a true referral um, arrangement established. You know, maybe the minimum requirements uh, of how you you know go about capturing referral claims. Maybe the the interval between your visits. You know, maybe you know you need to be seen by the primary care every 12 months as opposed to 24 months, or there are going to be specific requirements around documentation that are um, maintained as audible records to support referral capture claims. Um, but yeah, I agree, it's, it's hard to imagine that this this particular scenario or this, you know, this type of program um, gets written out of the program or out of the statute in the future. Yeah, yeah. All right, any last thoughts, comments? Riley, anything else you wanna share around referral capture or about your bio? <laughs> no, I mean, referral capture, I think if, if people are, are wavering on whether or not to do it, uh, if you have the resources to do it, I'm happy, we're happy to chat with you around, you know, how you can do it yourselves. We're not going to push. Please work with us only. Um, we think that anybody can achieve more savings that they, they are rightfully uh, do. Uh, we're happy to facilitate that, um, but also happy to, to help you if you don't have the resources to do it yourself. Um, but ar- around the bio, I'm, I'm sure you will, you'll probably uh, 
will be on to a podcast in the future. So we'll have to reach back out to Tom and get a new one. Every time I come on, I want to, I want a new bio. Yeah. I like that. I like that. We, I think we can commission uh, uh, Tom to, to do that for us. <laughs> All right, Rob, uh, let, let's catch up on some, some upcoming uh, podcasts and webinars. I know we've just had a few clients, not a few. We've got, I think, eight clients now. It's the first quarter of HRSA's fiscal year receive HRSA audit notices. And with those audit notices, we got an updated data request list. So new data request list for fiscal year 2023, right? Yes. Yep. And and uh, so hopefully for those of you listening, if you haven't received your HRSA audit letter yet, then you made it through the first round of audits for HRSA's fiscal year 2023, which starts in October. Just want to remind everybody. So that that kicks off here. In fact, by the time you hear this podcast, we're, we're in the fiscal year and we've got uh, quite a few audits we'll be attending. So um, we'll be sharing that. Um, Greg, but what's exciting is our next podcast, just to give you a preview uh, will be HRSA audit readiness. Um, we should be releasing October 17th on our, you know, every two week cadence that we have going. And for that, mm-hmm. we're going to, uh, we're, we're still locking it in, but we, we're going to have a covered entity client who's been through a recent HRSA audit, as well as one of our, uh, our compliance directors, um, Heidi, that will be joining us. So excited for that podcast to talk to, to both of them and, um, and learn more about uh, HRSA audit preparedness with all the HRSA audits that we see coming up. Yeah, you know, just with these first uh, few notices that went out for this first quarter, you know, the turnaround time for getting your data in um, really uh, contracted now. Three weeks is about the average turnaround time to get data in. So you need to be prepared. You need to be organized. And we actually have a SpendMen webinar that we're going to be providing on October 4th. Jennifer Hagen from our compliance team is going to be reviewing the new data request list, talking about some of the new items that are in there, particularly the documentation that covered entities need to provide for their own um, entity-owned retail pharmacies. And also we're going through the checklist of items that you need to think about and you need to prepare for in terms of uh, HRSA audit readiness. So tune into the webinar on October 4th with uh, Jennifer Hagen. Also stay tuned for an upcoming podcast where we bring some frontline staff members to share their experience with HRSA audits. Anything else, Rob, before we sign off for the day? No, I think I think we covered it well. Just appreciate. I uh, want to thank uh, Riley for uh, coming on the podcast, and and hopefully get to have you on again in the future. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.